Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and... And Kevin. And this is episode 67, again. So this is our second take because our first one, we realized that our daughter's bird chirping music was in the background the entire time. But we have to have it on so often that we didn't realize that it was like, it's just become part of her psyche now i think just like cheap 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 <laughs> yeah we are totally numb to it so yeah Whoops. so we both like 50 minutes into the last episode that we recorded last night we were both like oh fuck there's been birdies going this whole time hasn't there <laughs> so yes this is episode 67 hopefully maybe even a little tighter than last time uh pazuzu algarod so happy Mother's Day, because today's Sunday that we're recording. So happy Mother's Day to folks. Yes, all birthing people. I've, I've seen that on Twitter. Uh, they don't want to say mothers, but birthing people. So that's interesting. Okay. So, so it's th- all your birthing people out there. <laughs> happy Mother's Day. Well, that also insinuates that you have to birth someone in order to be a mother. What about like stepmothers and, you know, foster mothers? Pretty exclusive, and, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of exclusive. I don't know. Just saying. All right. So it's this is for all of y'all out there. Yeah, even if you're not a mother. Here you go. So what do you get when you cross Stitches, the rapper, <laughs> and a Burning Man, quote, Satanist? You guessed it. You get John Alexander Lawson, or Pazuzu Oligarad, rather. A lord's name he gave himself. Pazuzu is, of course, the demon that possessed Reagan in The Exorcist, and it means, quote, the lord of the demons, but so that's what he meant it to be. But Pazuzu was also like a Mesopotamian king, right? That was like the bringer of storms and drought, says yeah. Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, it goes, Pazuzu's a Middle Eastern demon that yeah, goes by so it's know, more the than... Lord of the Fever and Plagues and all that stuff. Gotcha, There's gotcha. a lot of different names for the same. Destroyer. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot of responsibilities. So Algarad is probably from the Lord of the Rings. Not quite as cool as the Exorcist. Is it, though? I don't know. It I'm sounds guessing. like it. Yeah, it sounds. Like I mean, Isengard, Ilgalgarad. Yeah, all those Norwegian yeah. black metal bands. All their stuff is from Lord of the Rings. And he was a lord, all right. A next-level, fourth-dimensional edgelord <laughs> who had quite the reputation in his quiet, very Christian, and very conservative North Carolina town of Clemens. Clemens is located in southwest Forsyth County. Clemens is small. The largest nearby city is Winston-Salem, about 10 miles away, and is the fifth largest city in North Carolina. 
Winston-Salem was made famous for tobacco and at one time was the largest city in North Carolina. The Reynolds family, namesake of the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company, played a large role in the history and public life of Winston-Salem. By the 1940s, 60% of Winston-Salem workers worked either for Reynolds or in the Haynes textile factories. Camel cigarettes, you've probably heard of them. That was Joe the, Cool. That's that's the dude, yep. Joe Cool. He Wait, was it Joe Cool? Yes. Yeah, or is Joe that cool. Snoopy? Is that Snoopy? Joe Camel. Joe Camel. Joe Cool with Snoopy with glasses. It's kinda like <laughs> it's kinda like when with um Steve Urkel and Stefan Urkel. <laughs> that's Joe Cool and Snoopy. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Joe Camel, yeah. Very big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was part of the Reynolds family jackpot, but they also owned other brands, Winston, Salem, weird, Doral, and Eclipse cigarettes. The Winston-Salem area is still the primary international manufacturing center for Reynolds brands of cigarettes, although employment is down from its peak of nearly 30,000 to under 3,000. A large amount of the manufacturing that went on here has either moved away or dramatically downsized, causing kind of a bus town vibe. Hmm. And this obviously affects Clemens because a lot of people that live there worked at this place. Clemens is a conservative place, lots of churches and Bibles and all that. And according to the Vice docuseries, The Devil You Know, the people there very much believe in God and the devil. John Alexander Lawson was born in San Francisco on August 12th, 1978. Some people say that Cynthia Lawson was a self-described Satanist. And I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to say probably not. I mean, if you watch the documentary, you see her in episode five. She's kind of like this ghostly figure in a sense that like she's talked about a lot throughout the documentary, but we never meet her. And she seems like she could be just as like, you know, stereotypically scary as Pazuzu is. But then we meet her at the end and she's just like this nice old lady who basically doesn't remember like a big or at least claims to not remember a big period of her life. So she's I don't know. She I don't know. She blocks the bad stuff out, yeah, she says. Yeah. She's she's a problematic shadowy figure for me. So I actually think John made up the rumor about his mom being a Satanist when he took on his Pazuzu identity. He also said he was from Iraq and his father was a high priest. Don't know if anyone out there has seen a little movie called The Exorcist, but I'm pretty sure John had. There's a lot of rumors and almost legends about this dude, his mom, and the house. And if you watch The Devil You Know, you'll see how hard it really is to get to the actual facts of John's life. His family ain't talking, the cops aren't talking, and there's a bunch of sealed documents and details about the case that police seem to not want to be known. It's very mysterious. The family moved to Clemens when John was young. Cynthia noticed some possible mental health issues early on, schizophrenia and agoraphobia most likely, and got him psychiatric help. But that didn't last long. That shit is expensive. And not sure what her insurance deal was like, but she soon ran out of money and treatment stopped. John's mental health took a shit pretty soon after. Friends of John said they didn't know really anything about his childhood. He constantly made up stories about himself. He told people he was from Iraq, like I said, and his father was a high priest. 
John was socially adversarial just for the shock value, it seemed. Well, and then something that I kind of was able to get from the documentary is that, like, yes, he was socially aggressive or whatever you want to say, but that was a learned behavior from growing up in a very hostile environment. I mean, he was called turd boy in high school. And I mean, that partially was because of his hygiene, but like he was very much ignored by teachers. He was ridiculed by, you know, his peers. He never moved up in grade level, you know. Every high school has a turd boy. And I don't see this happening all over the place. Just saying that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yes. But like being socially aggressive, it's not like, or what What did you say? Adversarial. Adversarial. I just don't, it doesn't come, it's not like it comes out of nowhere. That's all I'm saying. Agreed. So how do you piss off your super Christian, ultra conservative town that you live in? Well, in 2002, John changed his name to Pazuzu Illa Algrad after the Assyrian demon, as I mentioned earlier. And Illa is an Arabic term meaning deity or God. He also filed his teeth into points with a Dremel while on a meth binge. He stopped brushing those pointy teeth completely. He bathed <laughs> maybe once a year saying, quote, personal hygiene stripped the body of its defenses of warding off infection or illness. Very wise. He tattooed his face all up, shittily, I might add, hence the stitches reference. There were rumors of satanic rituals, animal sacrifice, orgies, and blood drinking. So pretty much every Weregoat song was going on at this house. And he was beginning to turn some heads, needless to say. Well, every little conservative town has a dark, seedy underbelly. Young people with no job, no prospects, no hope. Drugs often destroy these people in these towns for the most part. What are you supposed to do? Join the army? Anyways, these types always seem to find each other. Drugs really do bring people together. So Pazuzu's house was the epitome of Aleister Crowley's do-what-thou-wilt mentality. A lawless, safe space where any oogle can do whatever the fuck they want. Pazuzu was a true libertarian. You want to break a bottle over someone's head? Go for it. You want to shoot up any drug in any hole? Fuck yeah. You want to take a shit on the floor? Right this way, sir. You want to fuck one of the hundred dogs that also live at the house? (laughs) You get the idea. We are talking about Pazuzu's house, right? Not ours. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is an Airbnb ad that I made for our house. So has anyone ever seen the show Hoarders? Of course, everyone's seen that fucking show. Imagine one of those houses with pentagrams spray painted on everything, rotting trash and literal shit everywhere. Tons of dogs, poor guys, and plenty of Halloween-level hot topic devil imagery on everything. This was Disneyland for these drugged-out losers. Pazuzu's mom, yes, that's right, Pazuzu's mom, she fucking lived there too. Pazuzu's name was starting to make its way around town. He was kind of getting a Charles Manson-y reputation. And this was attracting more of the town's outcasts to him and his smelly house. And like Charles Manson, Pazuzu had a lot of young, some say attractive ladies around, constantly. He had some sort of sway over these girls, it seemed. People from the Vice documentary said Pazuzu's personality was kind of hypnotizing. He was very manipulative. He could get them to shave off their eyebrows. That's a, yeah, that takes a lot. His former friend, Nate Anderson, would later say, quote, he had a twisted sort of charisma. It's the kind of charisma that isn't going to appeal to everyone, but certain minds are going to be drawn by that. 
the misfits, the outcasts, people living on the edge, or people who wanted to live on the edge. And as we'll see, he got his hooks especially deep into two girls, Amber Birch and Crystal Matlock, his, quote, fiancés, and they lived to do his bidding. So at any... It's sad. I mean, it's sad and also, like, being an alternative girl, I understand to some degree. Now, again, I'm not ever, like, defending Pazuzu or anything like that, and I'm not necessarily defending the girls, but... One, I mean, you said that this is a fairly conservative town, very religious, so any kind of rebellion is going to be pretty, like, anti-Christian, I'm assuming, or, you know, liberal, for lack of a better term, you know? Yeah. So, one, they are probably looking for ways to be different from everyone else, and two, they were probably looking to piss off their parents. So, I think that that's the initial attraction, because I know, like, it sounds like he was just this shit-covered hot topic edgelord but at the same time and and he is like no question about that but but like this is a fairly mundane town where there doesn't seem to be a lot happening you know either you join the military or you have kids and there's nothing in between so if I, i could definitely see how pazuzu is almost this like attractive in between thing to do you know if if maybe like college isn't in your college didn't work out so college didn't work out so i'm gonna go hang out go with take a shit at pazuzu's house on the floor <laughs> but I, again so i'm i'm just kind of bringing in that outside kind of alternative girl perspective of like i could see even the turn hypnotizing i think is a little embellishing you know but like i could definitely see the the mystique about him there's definitely a couple dudes i dated when i was younger one of which had neck tattoos and knuckle tattoos when i was like my first or second year of college and my parents were like really you know and another dude i dated with like huge liberty spikes um i didn't you know i didn't date either of them very seriously but i think that part of me was like like it was different Take that dad like it's like those are fairly socially accept unacceptable things even to this day i mean tattoos have become less taboo but like you know, the 16 years ago or whatever it was that I dated the dude with neck and knuckle tattoos, like that was fairly unacceptable, you know, and my parents were not happy with that. So any dude I brought home Mission after, accomplished. any dude I brought home after the neck and knuckles dude, <laughs> they were like, yay, he doesn't have knuckle tattoos. I guess that worked out for me. <laughs> So at any time at the house, you could find people sacrificing animals, mainly rabbits and birds, blood drinking, doing tons of drugs, black metal blasting at all times, and of course, ritualistic orgies, because everyone knows you can't do anything magically without a good orgy. Crowley did say the gateway to the next dimension is through the butthole, or something (laughs) like that. You could also find animal carcasses. (laughs) It's so funny how butthole it's like so much dirtier than like any other euphemism for your that little pink star fruit fanny <laughs> or like even asshole wait like, fanny is butthole just sounds so dirty is fanny butt or vagina in, in, in like in the uk uh, well it's, i think it means butt yeah it's butt, butt. fanny yeah all right thanks Keep... for clearing that up You could also find animal carcasses littered around the house along with their piss and shit. 
their blood smeared all over the walls and literally hundreds of flies that would fly out of the house when you opened a window or door. The stench inside was a physical force. And that kind of reminds me of back in Portland, there's a bit of an old school local celebrity, for lack of a better term, Rex Diablo's church. And he was once the high priest in the Church of Satan. And if you've seen him, you've seen him. There's no mistaking who that dude is. Yeah. You'd definitely be like, oh, that guy is a Satanist for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, like, he's got some horns. That, that kind of gives it away, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, They're, like, literally implanted in his head. They're, like, on his forehead. Inside his skin. They're inside yeah. of his skin. Yeah, part of his skull. They're not, like... They're not like screw-ins on the top because I know that that's a thing. No, it's like they're, they're implanted, like implanted under his skin. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It's a firm decision. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so It's a very permanent one. He held the number two position in the Church of Satan for a long time, and then he split from that and does his own thing now. But as well as being a crazy person that you would want to avoid, especially at night, he's a fucking savage artist. Super dark shit with kind of like some Geiger, Wait, Geiger style too. I mean, but he does. He's like he does like the, paintings and also uh, like sculptures and stuff like. But that. you're saying he's someone you would want to avoid at night, like if you didn't know him. But if you did know him, he was kind of a nice guy, wasn't he? Or isn't he? He's a nice guy to people he wants to be nice to. Okay, so like, <laughs> but typically he's yeah. Yeah. Okay, I've heard he's really nice for a satanic like devil man. It depends. He's nicer than Pazuzu. Well, that's apples and oranges. Yeah. So back in the 90s, me and Rex were kind of friends. And he would come to my band, The Infernals, shows back in the beginning, like in the 90s. Uh, we were kind of like the only satanic metal band going at the time. And so he would come around to our shows and he would try to get us to join the church. He would invite us to invite only rooftop parties at his warehouse and that's where his art studio is and his living space as well. It was always, yeah, it was always it's interesting. It's funny to say art space. Oh, yeah, and he lived there. It's more maybe appropriate to say his apartment where he had his art. <laughs> but it was what you said was a warehouse. It's kind a of big space. warehouse. Oh, okay. And if you know Portland, it's like right on the east side of the river. It's like huge. You can't miss it. It's been a Portland staple forever. And he's been there forever. He's like taken over like a whole floor, basically. Wow. So we would go to these rooftop parties and hang out, and it was always like, as you would imagine, a bunch of weird fucking people that hung out. <laughs> but um, he told me one time about this ritual he was doing. He Actually, he was making a statue of Pazuzu, and he would throw a bunch of raw meat in the studio and wait like a week or two until it stunk the most. And then he would start working on the statue. And the idea was to create this effigy in an altered state of mind, charging the statue with power. I always thought that was cool. But it makes me think about how fucked this house was with blood smeared all over the walls, animal carcasses everywhere, and the stench that goes with that. And the dude's name is fucking Pazuzu. Weird coincidence, I'm sure. I haven't found rotten meat being an official homage to Pazuzu. And for the record, Rex is an adamant animal lover. He's been quoted saying when asked who he'd like to aim destruction rituals at, quote, anyone who abuses animals. So Mr. Pazuzu of Clemens, North Carolina, would have been no friend of Rex. To say the least, things were getting out of hand. People were constantly in and out of the Pazuzu house. Some stayed for a few days. Some stayed longer. 
In July of 2009, Josh Wetzler was one of those unfortunate friends who came to stay with Pazuzu. Not much is known about why he was there or how he became acquainted with him, but we do know that he was having a bout of bad luck. He had somewhat recently split from his former partner and mother of his child, Stacy, and had a bad brush with the law. He had mushrooms delivered to him in the mail, and because it's the mail, it was a felony. That's a big no-no. And it sounds like the mushrooms may have come from the Silk Road, which we covered in episodes like 30-something, and we've got a crying child. Stay tuned. (laughs) After that, he had difficulty finding legit means to make money, so it's believed that he became a drug dealer. Nothing crazy, though. Probably just weed and mushrooms. Anyhow, for unknown reasons, Josh began staying and hanging out with Pazuzu and his circle of friends. Not too long after, though, Josh would be killed and shoved into the basement for days. Later, he was buried in Pazuzu's backyard. Despite the numerous tips, his body wouldn't be found for another five years. Another man, Tommy Dean Welch, would meet the same fate, most likely in the fall of that same year, 2009. Not much of his story is known, or at least is available online. The Charlie Project said that um, Tommy Dean Welch disappeared from Clemens, North Carolina on October 3, 2009. He was also shot and killed at Pazuzu's house and buried alongside of Josh in the backyard. Both men were in shallow graves. The details of the murders and the burials are murky at best. Arrest warrants allege that Pazuzu Algarod killed Joshua in July of 2009 and that Amber helped him bury the body. Warrants also alleged that Amber killed Tommy Dean in October of 2009 before Pazuzu helped her with the burial. However, all we know for sure is that the men's autopsies would later say that each were shot in the head. Stacy Carter, Josh Wetzler's former spouse and baby mama, as well as one of the main protagonists of the Vice documentary, thought they had run off with a traveling renaissance thing. At this point, they were separated but amicable, co-parenting Jared, their son. She heard a rumor that Josh was murdered and buried in Pasuzu's backyard. Also, when his car was found abandoned and he hadn't contacted his son in months, she knew he was dead. There was absolutely no way that he could be alive and not try to contact his son must be so weird to like hear some random rumor about like your partner being buried at like the Satan dude's house, you know? Yeah. And then also like that's weird, but understanding that there's probably validity to it because otherwise where the hell is he, you know? So though she feared that she might sound like a crazy person, she actually did go to the police to report Pazuzu. Apparently, they did go to search his property twice, but not extensively, and there's much more to it than that, but we won't go into that. Stacy figured that this was all they could do to help her and pretty much dropped it from there on. On May 28, 2010, police were called to the Pazuzu house to break up a disturbance. Pazuzu had his mother in a chokehold and ended up getting charged with assault, a misdemeanor. Pazuzu's mom... She lived at the house while all this shit was going down. She would have had to make her way through all the trash, animal corpses, human shit, and orgies just to go to the liquor store, probably for her son, or to go to work. In court, it came out that she actually witnessed at least one of the murders while she was getting ready for work. 
So she's getting ready. Here's a bunch of bullshit going on and goes to see what the problem is. Finds her son pointing a gun at someone and then just turns around and continues getting ready. Then as she's leaving, she hears her son saying something like, quote, I guess it's time to finish him off. And off to work she went. That part of this whole thing is maybe the most disturbing part that she could just switch off and go to work. Uh, I'm sure Cynthia was terrified of her son, but this is pretty crazy. I'm curious of her mental state. I'm sure it's fucked now, but supposedly she started buying Pazuzu beer when he was like 13. So he'd quote, calm down and she put up with Pazuzu's lifestyle. So her son wouldn't kill himself. I don't know. Sometimes. So there's one other major thing that Pazuzu was involved in in other than the murder of the two men that were buried in his backyard and i don't want to gloss over it because it seems like that's what police did so we're just going to talk about it for a little bit but again like not a lot is known about stuff because as you guys will see later on pazuzu is not gonna be around for too too long oh spoiler alert sorry jeez so pazuzu was charged with accessory after the fact of involuntary manslaughter. The charge was related to the shooting death of Joseph Emmerich Chandler, 30 years old, whose body was found in September of 2010 on a boat ramp at Donahue Park in Yadkin County. There's CCTV footage from a convenience store showing Joseph Chandler getting into a car with a dude named Nicholas Rizzi. Police say that the crime was random, but Joseph's mother thinks otherwise, and she's featured in the Vice documentary as well. She thinks her son was targeted by these Satanists, meaning like first degree, right? Premeditated and murdered as a sacrifice to Satan. The spot where they found Joseph was supposedly near a spot in the woods where these dudes would perform sacrifices and rituals. With all that being said, Pazuzu was not the shooter and was reportedly not even at the scene at the time. Nicholas Rizzi was convicted of involuntary manslaughter for the shooting, which is totally crazy. And there, he basically was able to argue that he was like target practicing and that he like picked up this dude and like what the mom says in the documentary is like, yeah, he was target practicing, target practicing my fucking son. Yeah. I always like to go shooting and just pick up randos at night. In the at woods. night yeah. And then take him to go shooting. It's uh, a bad like habit of yours. Yeah, yeah I know. It is a bad habit. So apparently like, and what's crazy too is that I don't think she was invited to go to like the court hearing, you know, like she kept saying that like they left her in the dark and she kind of found out about it like afterward. It was like an afterthought like, oh yeah, the two dudes that like were involved with like probably premeditatively killing your son. Yeah, they got off like real like light, you know, she was very upset about it as anybody would be, you know? So like I said, he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter for the shooting, but Pazuzu he got charged with accessory after the fact of involuntary manslaughter for lying to police about the whereabouts of Nick Rizzi and for harboring a fugitive as he was hiding out at Pazuzu's manor, eluding police for a short time. And for that, two years probation. That's what Pazuzu got. Doesn't seem like enough. While under arrest, the psychiatrist who interviewed Pazuzu said that he had schizophrenia, agoraphobia, and alcoholism, but found him mentally competent to stand trial. And he admitted that he bathed no more than once a year and had not brushed his teeth in years. 
One thing that was mentioned in the documentary is that had the police either taken Stacy more seriously and or tried harder with their search warrants, there's a really good chance that Joseph Chandler wouldn't have been killed. So a couple more things that happened after the Joseph Joseph Chandler shooting was that in August of 2011, Pazuzu pled guilty to misdemeanor charges uh, for assaulting a female and was put on probation for 12 months. That's kind of crazy. On top of his other probation. Yeah, that seems kind of crazy. He seems like, hey, instead of just piling on more years of probation where he's obviously breaking or his parole, you know, his probation, maybe you should put him away for a little bit, you know? And then the next month on September 22nd, 2011, Pazuzu's girlfriend, Amber, was accused of slapping and attempting to choke Pazuzu's mother. God, another choking attempt on her. Jeez. Amber was later convicted and sentenced to 12 months of... Probation? Yeah. Two months after the conviction, she was charged with assault and battery, uh, alleging that she hit Pazuzu in the face. Who's pressing that charge? Uh, Not him. I don't think that she did anything. One guy that we haven't mentioned yet is Matt Flowers. So he was an Iraq War and Airborne Special Forces veteran, as well as Pazuzu's close friend. Matt met Pazuzu when he was 17 and Pazuzu was 27. Matt was just getting into the occult and other kind of dark, like skull and crossbones kind of things, you know, pretty innocently. Like in the documentary, he drives a hearse and has a bunch of tattoos and stuff and like is into punk music. Plays guitar, yeah, yeah, he plays guitar. So Pazuzu seemed like a cool dude to look up to because remember at this point, you know, he's not the a murderer. Well, he's not a murderer at this point. He just has awesome face tattoos and pointy teeth. And poop. And smells like poop. <laughs> Little did Pazuzu know that Matt would eventually be hit the reason that he ultimately gets turned in. Matt made at least one anonymous phone call when he heard about the dead bodies in the backyard. However, in early October 2014, Matt finally demanded that the police actually do something about the bodies that were in the backyard. In the documentary, he said that he told police that if they didn't take action, that he would take the matters into his own hands and kill Pazuzu himself. So they finally took him seriously. Boss move, by the way. Yeah, and I and I believe him. Yeah, no, he was not fucking around. So on October 5th, 2014, authorities executed a search warrant for the third time, I think, at this point, but this time for real, at 2749 Knob Hill Drive in Clemens. Crews uncovered the skeletal remains of two people buried in shallow graves in the backyard. Warrants would later reveal the two men were killed in 2009, just like all the tips, even if they were for Tazuzu, right? All the tips alleged, you know, or all the tips, not even alleged, said that these guys, you will find these two missing men in this man's backyard. Go look for them. Tazuzu? Yeah, one of the anonymous phone calls was for Tazuzu. So that's like, that's why we didn't know. They couldn't put the, they, they couldn't connect the dots. They're like a satanic guy named Tazuzu. They're like, mm, we have a guy There's that a loves Pazuzu, Satan. But, yeah, but that's probably yeah. not the same guy. Face tattoos, pointy teeth. Yeah, same. Okay, well, it's probably not that guy. Yeah, apparently there's a lot of those there. <laughs> Pazuzu, then 35, and Amber, then 24, were both home and were each charged with one count of murder and one count of accessory after the fact to murder, finally. 
The next day, Pazuzu and Amber had their first court appearance, both asking for court-appointed attorneys. A third person, Crystal Matlock, then 28, was charged in connection with the death of one person whose body was found at the Clemens home. Crystal was accused of helping bury the man. Declared uninhabitable, Pazuzu and his mother's home was eventually demolished in April of 2015. The neighborhood celebrated. On May 13, 2015, Pazuzu was transferred from the Forsyth County Jail to Central Prison in Raleigh for safekeeping. Now, this was a common practice for if, like, basically there was an inmate who was either a harm to himself, a harm to others, or others wanted to get at him, right? And so there were rumors swirling around at the point, at this point, alleging that, like, he had tried to bite through his arm with his fangs, and that's maybe why he was being transferred. And there probably is some truth in that, uh, but we don't know for a fact that's why he was transferred a couple of times. I don't know what transferring him would, how that would save him from his own teeth. a, A more secure jail where maybe the the prisoners don't know who he is or something so again like they said that there's three reasons for safekeeping which is a a safekeeping transfer which is security their security so like maybe you know i understand that yeah there's his security mental health disorders or medical conditions so it might be that the central prison in raleigh just had more stuff than the forsyth county jail which i'm sure is true Raleigh's a really big city. Raleigh's probably the largest city in North Carolina, right? It's up there. Yeah. It's the capital. <laughs> Is it? I, yes. Don't make me second guess myself. <laughs> On October 28th, 2015, Pazuzu was found dead in his cell at 4.20 a.m. at the Central Prison in Raleigh. Pazuzu's autopsy shows that he died from loss of blood from a wound that punctured the artery in his inner left forearm. Interesting that it's at 4.20 a.m. that they find him. Yeah, on on a full moon. It's very interesting. But he probably didn't kill himself at 4.20. No, that they use 4.20 in the whole report. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the whole, yeah. It was never clear what instrument he used. Items from his cell sent to the North Carolina office of the chief medical examiner included an electric razor, which is surprising that he would have that, and a clear unlabeled bottle filled with red fluid. Don't know what that is. Maybe blood. It was probably some sort of cleaner or something. He was really cl- he's a neat freak, right? <laughs> it does not state that he bit into his arm, though. Like I said, it was rumored that he did. His death was ruled a suicide, and authorities said that he used something to cut himself, and they never specified. The powers of darkness. That's what he used. You know, when they demolished the house and everybody, uh, the neighbors were celebrating and stuff in the devil, you know, they show the house being demolished and stuff and all the neighbors like having barbecues and stuff. And they're like eating hot dogs and all this stuff, watching the house getting torn down. And it was like this fucking cesspool of a house getting destroyed. And it's just releasing all this toxic dust everywhere. (laughs) Well, all these families are like, like, yay, breathe it in. Hell yeah, brother. Eating hot dogs, get, like eating the satanic necro dust. dust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it was amusing. So in an exclusive interview with a Daily Mail UK, Matt Flower said, quote, Pazuzu had always told me he would kill himself if he ended up in jail and couldn't do his rituals each month on the dark moon. He spoke about it in such detail, all the different ways he would do it. Pazuzu 
filed his teeth down the points with a Dremel tool. He told me he would gnaw his fingers to the bone and stab his arteries with it. Pazuzu wanted to be a demon. I didn't used to take that seriously. Nobody did. He chose that name from the exorcist, and he said that Pazuzu was the demon associated with winning, getting your desires. I think he wanted his own death to be a show, to freak people out. He took his life on the full moon, just like he said he always would. I think he wanted to be a demon, and he came as close to being one as any human could. I don't know if he fueled his madness with all his talk about the devil and the occult, or if his madness fueled all that. But all the things we never took seriously at the time, I think he came to believe. So on March 9th, 2017, Amber, then 27, pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, armed robbery, and accessory after the fact to murder. She was ordered to serve a minimum of 30 years and 8 months in prison with a maximum sentence of 39 years and 2 months. Forsyth County prosecutors said she used a 22 caliber rifle to shoot Tommy Dean Welch twice as he sat on the couch in the home the two shared at 2749 Knob Hill Drive in Clemens. Prosecutors also said three months before that, her boyfriend Pazuzu used the same rifle to fatally shoot Josh. Investigators alleged the body stayed in the house several weeks before Pazuzu called Amber, who was in South Carolina, to ask her to come and help bury Josh. And when we say ask, we may... Demand. It's more like... Threaten. You're going to come do this. You're going to help us bury this guy or you're going to be in the hole with him. Yeah. I think was the quote. That's how I like to ask too. (laughs) A few months later on, June... That's how I ask kids to turn in their assignments. (laughs) Yeah. I make them dig a hole if they don't. Hi, can you turn in your essay or I will kill you and put you in a hole in my backyard? That's how I ask too. Yeah, totally. That's totally normal. Mm Mm-hmm gets results so a few months later on june 5th 2017 crystal then 30 pleaded guilty in Forsyth superior court to conspiracy to accessory after the fact of first degree murder she was accused of helping bury josh crystal was sentenced to a minimum of three years and two months in prison with a maximum sentence of four years and ten months well that's the case for the most part pazuzu got to get away with his crimes by killing himself. Uh, many people call it the coward's way out. Um, and we didn't see a lot of justice in terms of that, but the girls did end up getting some time. A lot of it was time served and they were basically released after their trials. And people are just kind of left to be in the wake pick up of the pieces, yeah, yeah pick up the pieces of what pazuzu had done to them and so a couple of those people like stacy carter who very much is the protagonist of um, the documentary she was able to own and operate her own um like i think it's like a horse therapeutic center in salisbury north carolina and it's called heart heart centered horsemanship and she's also like a certified yoga instructor and all this stuff. And I do believe that now she is not living in poverty, like how she was throughout much of the documentary. It's really sad to watch. So before it was confirmed that her baby daddy was Josh yeah. killed, yeah, she wouldn't get his social security payments or whatever. Right? Yeah, There's a five-year lapse. Yeah. And she I had hope no she, income coming I wonder out. if she won that. 
Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what happened. I, with I that, hope she but, did. But so once it once they found the remains were Josh's, then she started getting a little bit of money. However, that works. Yeah, hit from his social security, right. basically for his son. Um, but there was a five year period where she said they had to move a ton of times to all these shit places because she just couldn't afford anything. And like her dream was always to like work with horses and help people, and that's exactly what she's doing. So. Also, at the end of the documentary, she gets to meet Pazuzu's mom and have like a little bit of closure. It's weird not, it's interview. Not, if yeah, you check it's a really out. weird it's interview, but like it's something to it's kind of like, mark like a weird, dark period. You know, the way she, uh, Cynthia Lawson acts and stuff totally reminds me of like the way if you see interviews with like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon <laughs> Musk, they don't seem human. You know what I mean? They seem like they're just shell shocked like yeah and like you she said, was just got so so much ptsd from probably, living with yeah. her son pazuzu john some call him john yeah she does at the end yeah uh that she's just fucked like and she I, like she, cannot remember the negative times which she totally I, shuts that out like it's uh, it's like she, she's probably got multiple personalities at this point you know uh just trying to, yeah, like you said, compartmentalize those different times in her life. Yeah. And I don't think going in. I mean, this before, is all, like you know, a, yeah. I don't think she went into the whole thing, you know, straight, you know, fully cocked anyways, you know, giving her like schizophrenic son beer, beer when he's when he 13. Like, yeah. like, I mean, that is dark questionable. <laughs> I don't know. And the other update is that Matt Flowers, who's kind of like the other protagonist of the film, he either is completing or completed his degree in criminal justice, which seems very fitting, having been Pazuzu's friend. And last November, he got into a nasty motorcycle accident, but is recovering. And you can find his GoFundMe online if you'd like to donate. We will leave the link in our episode notes. But I do highly recommend watching The Devil You Know. Um, Matt Flowers is not in most of the newspaper articles um, about Pazuzu, but he is probably the number one. Him and Stacy are like the most interviewed people. They yeah. basically and tell the story the of the And he was the driving force of getting any sort of justice. Exactly. If it wasn't for him, those two men would probably still be in the backyard unfound yeah. and who, who knows who knows what how many more people would have been killed pazuzu would still be drinking the blood of birds or whatever yeah whatever it is that he does so so uh get well soon matt hopefully that everything works out yeah and really stoked for people who were able to move on with their lives and make something good out of something really terrible Pazuzu's a real piece of shit he took a lot of people down with him too yeah so, on that note, <laughs> you can join our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, and many all, other all platforms. All the platforms. We're on them all. We're on them all. So, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. Tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Bye.